we have been in a series for since the first of the year, and we're, we're talking about renewal. Really, what we're talking about is revival, and, and we defined it as as saturated with the presence of God. M- most of you have used a sponge before, but but when you pick up a sponge that's saturated, it, it you don't even have to squeeze it. It just the water just runs out of them. When, when a church, when a people, when a person is saturated with God, we just drip everywhere we go. We leave a trail. Have you ever put a mop in a bucket and pulled it out and, and had to go 10 feet? You leave a trail behind you because that mop's saturated with water. And, and we've talked about different things. We've looked at different things. But I want to talk about something today that, that you might not think is a mark of revival, a mark of renewal, and yet it is. It's supposed to be something that is a mark of every believer, every day. This this is not something that just happens in renewal or revival. This is something that God has commanded us to do every day. But I'm going to tell you, when, when true revival comes, you can test it by this, because this will always be a part of it. Repentance will always be a part of it. But this will always be a part of it as well. A significant part of of being a a follower of Jesus. And by being a follower of Jesus, I don't mean someone who just knows the name of Jesus. Somebody who just casually reads their Bible. What I'm talking about when I talk about a follower of Jesus Christ is someone who has been born again. Born anew. Born from above through the Spirit uh, of, of God through the testimony and through the work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And, and a significant part of being a follower of Jesus Christ is the, the privilege we have. And it's a privilege, okay? But it's also a responsibility. Here's the reality. To those who are given great privilege comes great responsibility. That's just reality. The more we receive, the more we are accountable for. And so a significant part of being a follower of Jesus is the privilege and the responsibility He's given every one of us to share our faith. We are supposed to share what Jesus did in our lives with other people. Most of us would call that what? Witnessing? Evangelism, exactly. There's several words we use, but they're, 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 they're common words. He, he's called us to be witnesses. He's called us to evangelize. That's, that's the Greek word is evangel, the good news. We are called to share the good news with others. It's, it's, it's evangelism. And that belief then makes us evangelical Christians because we realize that our responsibility is to share the gospel. Listen, the early church was evangelical, all right? Just read the book of Acts. It actively shared the message of Jesus with those who worshipped other gods. They shared the gospel with the ones who who worshipped the gods of the pantheon of Rome, the pantheon of Greece, the pantheon of Asia Minor, the pantheon of the Middle East. They shared their, their faith with idol worshippers. Okay, people who worshipped something else beside Jehovah God, besides Jesus Christ. They did that on the streets. Listen, they preached on the streets. How many of you have ever seen a street preacher? Okay? Now I want you to be, I don't want you to tell me, I just want you to be honest. How did you feel when you heard it? 
Okay, just, I, I don't want to know. Okay. They prayed out loud for strangers they met and prayed with. They didn't say, hey, I'll pray for you. They said, let me pray for you right now. And so they would pray out loud for them. And, and very likely, and this, this is probably a few years after Pentecost as the gospel begins to go forth, and they, they probably handed out teaching materials of some kind. Okay, I'm not saying they gave out tracts. I'm not saying they, they handed out this and that because literally the, the scriptures were not even completely printed yet. But I really believe they probably handed out some things, some kind of teaching materials to people in the marketplace and to people that lived in their communities around them. Because the only thing they had to offer was the testimony of Jesus, what he had done and what he had done in their lives. Okay? Some of them had witnessed exactly what he had done. They had seen it with their own eyes. And many of them, though, had heard what he had done through someone who had seen it. Or someone who had seen it. Or someone who had seen it. You understand what I'm saying? Some of them got the gospel through gossip. Y'all realize that? Somebody sharing what they'd seen. Now, I don't recommend that, okay? Gossip's not a good thing. But, but the reality of it is they'd heard about it from someone who'd heard about it through someone who'd heard about it through someone who'd seen it. And, and, and what happens is, is, is the only thing they had to offer then was what Jesus had done, what, what they knew he had done, what they'd heard he had done, and what he had taught them, what they'd been taught about him. And that testimony, folks, listen to me. In 300 years, from a group of 120 people on the day of Pentecost, spread throughout the known world. And the known world was everything except the place we live in. Okay? It was all of Europe, all of Asia, all of... The Far East, it spread throughout those places. And literally, the, 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 the kingdom that ruled the world at that time, Rome, it turned Rome upside down. What turned Rome upside down? The gospel, the good news, what Jesus had done. Now, Jesus had commissioned them. And, and we're all familiar with this, man. I grew up in, 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 a, in a stream that this was the go-to verse. It, it is a very powerful verse. It, it's often called the Great Commission. It, it is the, it's our marching orders. Jesus commissioned them right before He ascends into heaven. He, 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 he tells the, the eleven after the resurrection to go to a mountain in Galilee and He gives them orders. This is what I want you to do. He says, go therefore, or literally translate, as you are going. And, and a lot of times we romanticize that a bit and we make it as you are going to foreign fields and, and all of these places. Literally what Jesus was saying is, as you are going through your daily life, if you're going to the market or to the school or, or, or to wash clothes at the river. By the way, they didn't have wash machines then, so you had to wash them on a rub board. And a lot of people washed at the, at the place where the water was. As you're going to the office or you're going to the, the public meeting, as you are going, let this be a part of your life. As you're going, 
Well, why could he tell them to go therefore as they're going? Because in the verse before he says, all authority has, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I am the boss. I'm the chief person in charge. God has given me all authority, not just here, but there as well. And so now I'm giving you authority. I'm deputizing you. I'm telling you to continue what I have done. And so he says, I want you to, as you're going, go therefore. And then he he tells us what to do. He says, and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, we are to take the good news everywhere. You know what? You can't get everywhere unless you go through your neighborhood and your community and your city and your state. Right? It it, it spreads out. It's good, but it's like poison. Poison spreads out. The gospel is good. It spreads out. It's supposed to, to, to just expand. It's like an explosion. Pentecost was an explosion. And the the results of that explosion continued outward. And so he says, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, we have emphasized as the church, and and not not just one branch of the church, but in many branches of the church, we have emphasized that this means we are to share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel, get a response, and keep moving. No, we are supposed to share the gospel, and when somebody responds to the gospel, we are to take that individual, and we are to disciple them, and teach them what Jesus taught us, and then we are to teach them all that Jesus taught us. And the reason is because when you have a fully formed disciple, they in turn become evangelical. They become evangelists. They become people who share the gospel. And so Jesus said, I want you to pour into them everything that I've poured into you. And so the only way anybody outside of Jerusalem or maybe Israel proper, the only way anybody heard about what Jesus has done was by the witness of someone who had been with him. Angels didn't sing it on the mountaintops. They didn't appear in Corinth on the the temple uh, up on top of the Acropolis and, and declare it to the Greeks. They didn't show up in Spain and declare it to the Spaniards. People went there who had experienced what Jesus had done, but also what he had done in them. These people were evangelistic evangelicals, okay? All right? They were evangel... I can't even say it. One time's going to have to be enough, okay? They were evangelistic evangelicals. They shared the gospel with a relentless urgency. Why? Because they realized the new life Jesus had given them. They realized where they had been translated and transformed from. They could look back at the pit they came out of. They could look back at the dead religion they had, they had been uh, experiencing. They could look at those things and realize, man, I'm alive now. I'm not just alive physically. I'm alive in here. I'm alive spiritually. 
I'm not dead anymore. I don't have to do this or this or this or that or drag a cattle up here or a sheep up there. I, I don't have to do that anymore. He's done it for me. Jesus has done everything that, that needs to be done to make me acceptable to God. I just get to experience it now. Now because I get to experience it, golly, I'm going to find all my friends and tell them what's happened. And when I run out of friends, I'm going to make some new friends. And when I run out of places to tell people in my normal whatever, I'm going to expand out a little bit and tell some more. Why? Because they had been rescued from something to something. They had been rescued from a life of endless sin and, and, a, and, and an eternity of, of suffering and, and hell. Let me just go ahead and throw it right out there. They, they, had, they were living in hell and all they had to look forward to was more of it in eternity. Except it would be hotter and smokier. That's, that's the reality. And so they told everybody they knew. And they understood this. This is something I don't think we understand. That if I don't share this with the people I come in contact with, there is a likely chance, probably a 100% chance, that they won't hear it. And if they don't hear it, they will eventually die. And they will certainly go to hell. Think about that for a minute. Guys, we live in that same culture. I know you may not believe that. I'll never forget the first time this became a reality to me. It was in the 80s. I was, and that's been a long time ago. It has. Some of y'all don't even remember the 80s, okay? I know that. You, you weren't even thought about in the 80s. But I was working on a job. I had a crew of guys. I had a young man that worked with me. And every morning, uh, we'd get there. And, you know, when you get there a few minutes early, you sit in your car. You get that last listen on the radio, drink, sip a coffee or whatever. Well, he always, you, could, you, could, you knew it was him because there was this thumping, bumping kind of music. It was Metallica. He was listening to Metallica. And he had it turned up as loud. If you don't know who Metallica is... Just forget that part of the story. It was some head-banging rock music, okay? And his car was, he had a little bitty car, it was just vibrating. I mean, and, and, and he'd get out and, and, and we'd go to work. And one day I was talking to him. And he'd grown up in Shelby County, okay? He didn't grow up in New York City or Chicago. He grew up in Shelby County. And we got to talking. And, 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 and I would just, he said, what do you, I said, what do you do on Sundays? And he, he told me. He said, what do you do? And I told him, he says, why do you do that? And so I, I seized on that opportunity to just share a little bit. He'd never heard of Jesus. Never heard about him. Never heard, didn't know who he was. Now, I'm, I'm thinking, dude, I'm, this is the Bible Belt. This is the Bible Belt. You grew up in, you didn't just grow up in the Bible Belt, you grew up in the buckle. You know, and I realized there are people that don't know who Jesus is. That's why Jesus gave us this commandment. These people understood that. You say, yeah, but it was different then. No, no, it's not. You just listen and look around. You talk to some people. I'm going to share some statistics with you in just a minute. 
For those of you that like those, and for those of you that don't, just endure them. Okay, I'm not going to share many. But it's just like it was in the first century. You say, yeah, but people don't worship other gods. You need to get out of your house a little bit. You need to open your eyes. Look at the graffiti that's sprayed all over the place. Listen to what people talk about. It's, there's nothing different than when Jesus came and in the day we live in. And I'll be honest with you, there's not been anything different all the way through the centuries. It's the same world. It's the last days. It's the last days. But these people realized that, that the gospel had come to them on its way to somebody else. And the reality of it is, folks, we are here today because somebody came to us and was faithful in sharing the gospel with us. That may have been a pastor. That may have been a teacher. But for some of us, it was just an individual that only we know. Okay? Their name's not famous. But they were faithful. And so what happened is the gospel came to us. And, and, and you and me from somebody else on its way to somebody else. In other words, when we got it, guess what we were supposed to do? We were supposed to give it away. We weren't supposed to cuddle it in there and lock it up. And I got my fire insurance now. Everything's good. I'm, I'm supposed to give my ticket to somebody else. Do you realize that when we give our ticket away, God restores that ticket in us? To give it away. To give it away. You can't outgive God. Listen, this is a little known, it is a well known fact, but a little cared for fact in the church. God has only one plan for growing churches. Y'all realize that? Now, I've studied church growth, read all the books, read all the things, but here's the reality He has only one plan. He wants us to be witnesses of the good news. In other words, He wants us to share our faith. Some people call that personal evangelism. But as the church, we are supposed to sow those seeds everywhere we go. And if the good news is really good, we'll share it. Here's the reality. God is not interested in growing churches from the sheep of another church. God, God, God's not pleased when a church declines and blows itself up and all their sheep go somewhere else and, and that church grows and, and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's not pleasing to God. You say, Nelson, hush your mouth. I, I'm just being honest with you. God wants us to, to grow based on reproduction, not relocation. Reproduction. You say, but we don't, we don't have babies and they become Christians. No, we produce spiritual children. That's what we're called to do. We're, Jesus reproduced in us. We're to reproduce Him in someone else. And so God only has one plan. Now, I want you to listen to these statistics because when I read these, it made my blood a little cold. Almost all practicing Christians. Now, I don't know what the definition of a practicing Christian is. Okay, these, these are, these, This comes from, from Barna. And Barna is a good uh, source of information with surveys and studies. They do, they do all kinds of, of, of Christian studies. The Barna Company does. But almost all practicing Christians, 94 to 97 percent, 
I don't know about the other 3%, okay? It boggles my mind. But they believe. Now, I don't know what the word believe means to whomever put the statistic together. But for me, belief means this is a core value, okay? I put my faith in this, my trust in this. But every 94% to 97% believe that a witness about Jesus is a part of their practice of faith. And the best thing that could happen to any person is for that person to know Jesus Christ. How many of you would agree that's a good belief? Okay. Here's the reality with that, though. If people really believe that, then they will do that. If they don't do that, they don't believe that. So, Nelson, you're, you're beginning to stomp, and you're not preaching anymore. I'm, I'm just, listen, I'm fixing to give you some other information that will balance what, what I just tried to say. I don't know what their definition of belief is and what they feel the best thing is based on this next response. Those same 94 to 97% say this. 54% of them do. That's over half of them. They don't believe they have any responsibility, though, to evangelize other people, and especially people of other faiths. Now, that's 54% of that 97%. It's a good thing. I believe we're all supposed to do it, but I don't believe I'm supposed to do it. That's what they're saying. Now, let's don't judge them because we are them, okay? Because we're in the 97% that believe this is a good thing. Amen? Anybody believe that sharing Jesus and, and them getting to know Jesus is a bad thing, you're in the wrong place, okay? You just really are. All right, now listen to this. In fact, there's a survey, and this was done in, in 2016, that 50 to 79% of all Americans, okay, this is including 50 to 75% who call themselves Christian, and all those who are not Christians, all right, they believe this, that attempting to convert someone of another faith or handing out religious material door to door is extremism. In other words, if you hand somebody a track at a restaurant, you're an extremist. If you tell somebody about Jesus, why would I not tell you? Why would I tell you about Jesus unless I wanted to give you Jesus? You can call it convert or conversion or whatever you want to do. I just want to give you what I got. All right, if I've got something that everybody needs, I'm going to give it away. But 54 to, I mean, 50 to 75% who are Christians call themselves Christians, and you have, to, you have to understand the word somewhat, believe that, that that's extremism. In fact, they also believe that if you preach a religious message in a public place or pray out loud for a stranger, you are an extremist. In other words, keep your faith to yourself. Now, reckon where that message came from. D-E-V-I-L. Devil. S-A-T-A-N. Little s. Satan. That didn't come from Scripture. Scripture says, go as you are going. 
Listen, I'm going to say this again. If we truly believe that the greatest message someone can, could hear is about Jesus, and we, we truly believe that Jesus told us to do that, then, then we will do that. And if we don't do that, listen to me. I'm just going to be, say it like it is. This is for me as well as for anybody else that, that hears this. If I'm not doing it, then I don't believe it. Yeah, 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 but but, but, but I may believe it here, but I don't believe it here. Because if I believed it here, it would be a part of everything that happens. Sadly, and this is reality, the only reason most Christians even talk about sharing their faith, and when I say talk about it, I'm not saying they actually share it, is because deep in our hearts we know that Jesus clearly commands us to do it, right? And if it's a commandment to do and we disobey it, what is it? It's disobedience. It's got another word, a lot shorter. Sin. It's sin. And, and, and look, we don't want to sin, okay? Because if I sin, it's in, I'm in trouble, right? And, and if I'm not careful, I slide off into something that Jesus didn't say and, and I start to believe I'll never be able to get to heaven and I can't please God and that's garbage too, okay? That's just garbage. God loves you and you please Him. He was pleased to save you through Jesus Christ. And when he looks at you through Jesus Christ, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your shortcomings or my shortcomings or my faults and failures. And when I sin, his, his Holy Spirit shakes my heart, pricks my heart, massages my heart so that I'll turn back. So don't believe the lie. Satan's got them all over the place. My point is, is that to obey, we're, we know we're supposed to do it, right? We know we're supposed to do it because God commanded us to do it. Jesus commanded us to do it. But when we do it simply because we've been commanded to do it, it's the lowest form of obedience there is. There were a lot of things my daddy told me not to do that I did. You know why I did it? Because I was afraid if he found out, he would wear me out. So I didn't do it. I figured that's one I won't get because he won't catch me doing this. That's the wrong reason to obey. That's the lowest form. The, the highest form is obeying because you love that person. And you desire to please them. But, but most of us do what we're supposed to do when it comes to God because I have to. It's, it's not an option. It's required. And folks, that's the reason. That's the real reason. It's not the best reason. But it's the reason we obey God. We, the best reason, the best motive is because God's changed our life. He's rescued us from bondage. He's rescued us from slavery. Uh, you know, I, I was lost. You were lost. If you're here today and you know Jesus, you were lost without any hope. You were helpless. You couldn't save yourself. And He rescued us. And now, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I get to share peop the, the gospel with people. I get to share the solution for the bondage. I get to. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege. It's a different way of looking at it. Yes, God commanded me to do it. Alright? But, hey, I get to do it. 
He's entrusted this opportunity to me. And folks, if that's not what we, the way we look at it, what it becomes then is a dreaded and then neglected responsibility. And when that happens, we need revival. Amen? We need a change of heart. I, I need renewal. I, I may need some face time with God. I need Dr. Jesus to examine my heart because something is bad wrong. Listen, when there's no compassion for the eternal destiny of somebody else, there's no real love in us for Jesus. Where there's no passion for souls, there's no filling of the Holy Spirit. Where there's no concern, where I don't care about anybody else but me, there is no genuine love for others. The Apostle John uh, made it pretty clear in in 1 John. I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 8, and then I'm going to read verse 20. John says this, The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. The Greek says, The one who does not love God does not know God. For God is love. That's what it says in Hebrew. That's what it says in Aramaic. That's what it says. That if I love God, I'll love people. And if I don't love people, I don't love God. And, and then he, he, he says it again in a, in, a, in, a, in a very plain way. In verse 20 he says, For the one who does not love his brother... Now before you start asking this, I can, I can hear somebody... Right now thinking, well, who's my brother? There's somebody that said that in Scripture, and, and Jesus hammered them, okay, with a story. Everybody's our brother. Everybody's our sister. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Well, that gets right up inside here and sticks like a fishbone, right? That's why... We need revival in the church. That's why we need renewal. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, there are two things that are natural and and are the inevitable outflow. One is evangelism. The other is mission. When, When the Holy Spirit renews and restores and brings your heart back to Jesus where it's supposed to be, you want to tell people about Jesus. And you can't wait to get out there. And that's what mission is. It's, it's being sent with a message. That's what happened uh, in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus sent them with a message and He gave them the authority to give that message out. We've been given that same message. We've been given that same authority. Listen, you don't test revival by any of these things. I'm going to name some things. These are not the test of revival. Uh, The manifestations that sometimes accompany the Holy Spirit, like like falling under the power of the Spirit, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just not the test. Manifestations like tongues, that's not the test. Uh, Tears or wailing or crying or, or laughing or some other physical response, those are not the test. Those are things that happen. And they are of the Holy Spirit most of the time. The test is when people get up and they go out, are they different? 
Are they sharing the gospel of Jesus? Can they, are they bursting with what God poured in them while they were the, on the floor or at the altar? You see, if, if we're not pouring out, what's outpouring is not what God poured in us, then we didn't get anything there but goosebumps. You say, Nelson, why are you thumping on this? Because this is reality. We've made revival all about me and how I feel and the goosebumps I get. Look, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And it's about me coming back to the place where I am supposed to be with Jesus so that I get done what He's given me to do. Listen, if the people of God become evangelistic, they will move spontaneously to share their faith. When that happens, it's a genuine work of the Spirit. If it's not happening now and Look, I, don't, I can't judge you. I can only look at my life. If it's not happening like it's supposed to, then, then I need revival. I need renewal. We need renewal. And because what happens in a genuine revival is that takes place. I love what the prophet Isaiah prays. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence. And as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, that you would make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we didn't expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. For from old they have not heard or perceived by the ear, neither has the eye seen a God beside you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. You come to help those who gladly do right and who remember your ways. How did God's adversaries hear? They weren't there when the mountains shook. They weren't there when the fire fell. How did they hear? Somebody who was there told them. Somebody took the message to them. Somebody shared their experience. When genuine revival comes, listen, the nations see what's happening. Sadly, folks, our own nation doesn't even take the people of God seriously. You say, Nelson, how can you say that? Turn on your television. Watch the news. What are they debating about? What are they trying to do? What are they promising if you elect them? It's not God. They, they don't even take us seriously. In fact, the communities sometimes that we live in don't even know we exist. When Isaiah, he talks about this overflow, he's not talking about effort. He's talking about something that naturally occurs. Not something I have to work up. Not something I have to sit in my car and go, oh God, oh God, oh God, I know I'm supposed to talk to that gentleman there, but I'm so scared. Oh God, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help, give me some strength. Oh, okay, I'm ready now. Man, in order to be, I can't get the door open fast enough. There's another one that doesn't know Jesus. It's overflow, not effort. See, too much evangelistic outreach in our churches are about effort. We have to learn how to share the gospel. Now listen, I'm not against teaching people methods to share their faith with. Okay? I, I, I don't have a problem. I learned some of those methods. But those methods will never 
they will never ta- should never take the place of that driving compassion in our hearts to share what Jesus did. Listen, if you don't add to it what Jesus did in your heart, you're just going through a formula. Formulas don't bring people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings people to Jesus by people opening their mouth and their hearts and sharing what He did through them. Much of the evangelistic outreach in many churches is effort. It's not overflow. It's obligation. It's requirement. It's compulsion. And all of those things always result in effort. Listen, real overflow, real overflow is an expression of, of, of gratitude. It's an expression of a grateful heart. And evangelism has its roots in the soil of a grateful heart. Grateful for what's taken place. The overflow of a, of a grateful heart will quickly become a desperate concern. A passion for those that who have who've not yet received Christ's invitation to return to Him. Listen to me. Evangelism is an inevitable outflow in revival. Because revival makes eternal issues a reality. When I forget about hell... Even though I realize I'm not going there, but when I forget there are people who are going there, then I don't have any compassion anymore. I don't have any concern anymore. Listen, overflow is the expression of a grateful heart, and evangelism is a natural outgrowth of that. There's an individual in American history, very few people know who this individual is. Many of you have ever heard the name David Brainerd. Maybe one or two people. David Brainerd was was a born again during the first great awakening. He was a contemporary of, of uh, Jonathan Edwards. He was 25 years old. He was touched in that revival. And David Brainerd carried the gospel to the Native Americans in upstate New York. You say, big deal. It was a big deal to them. Because nobody else was carrying it. In fact, nobody thought they could even receive it. They were savages. That's what, that's what the settlers thought. And besides that, they just wanted their land. So if they're gone, out of sight, out of mind. But David Brainerd carried the gospel to them. He, he didn't have any support. He, everybody was against him. And so he, what he would do is he would go out in the woods and he would walk and he would pray. Sometimes he would kneel on the ground and pray. And what many people don't realize is David Brainerd had tuberculosis. He was dying. Okay? Took a while, but he was dying. And David Brainerd sometimes would would become so engrossed in prayer that he would fall down in the snow and pray. And when he got up, there would be a, a bloody spot there because of that tuberculosis. And he did this continually and continue until uh, often, uh, finally, he, he began to make some progress. It was dangerous work, that what he was doing. Listen, those Native Americans didn't want him either. They just wanted to be left alone and, and left to their land. But he continued to, to, to pray and continued to cry out to God for him. He wrote this in his diary. He said, all things here below vanished. And there appeared nothing of any importance to me but the holiness of heart and the conversion of the heathen to God. 
And you say, golly, that's a strong word. That's the word they use for lost people. That's all that means. By the way, that word, heathen, let me tell you where it comes from. When Kathy and I, it's been three years ago, I think now, we were, we were gone for a couple of weeks. We went on a, a cruise, which we'll never do again, okay? We've, we've got that. We're, we're 100% in the union of that, okay? One of the places that we went to was Iceland. And we, we went out into Iceland. And in one of the places we went, we went to the spot where Iceland converted from paganism to Christianity. Stood on that spot where a whole nation turned. Those that did not turn, who hung to the gods of their ancestors, were forced out into the heath. That is the growth on the mountains. And that's where the word heathen comes from. Those who chose the heath other than God. And, and so David Brainerd, he, he's, 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 he's praying for these individuals. And he says, he says, he says that, that it appeared to me that nothing was important but the holiness of God, holiness of heart, and conversion of the heathen to God. When I was asleep, I dreamed of these things. And when I was awake, as I, I, while it waked, I frequently did. The first thing I thought was of the great work of pleading for God against Satan. He interceded for those that, that he was going to share with. Brainerd eventually set out on a journey of about 420 miles into uncharted, unmapped territory. And he went to the Susquehanna Indians. And he began to share the love of Jesus. Not with just his mouth, but with his actions. I mean, here's a white guy. And he's not driving us. He's not shooting at us. He's not cursing us. He's not giving us cheap trinkets. He's pouring out his heart for us. And listen, they saw the real deal in him. And what happened is revival broke out. You may say, why? Because one man had a passion for the lost. How did it manifest itself? One man loved God so much that he loved the people that God truly loved. David Brainerd proclaimed the gospel. He testified of its power through his own life. And then he demonstrated its power with the love of God. Listen, they knew he was sick. It was obvious. I mean, when you're coughing blood up, everybody knows something's wrong with you. And yet, he wouldn't quit. Out of his weakness, he shared the love of Jesus. I think that's biblical. I think that may even be what Paul says, that, that out of your weakness, God says, I am made strong. They see my strength in your weakness. He offered the Susquehanna people an invitation. That's all he did. He didn't drive anybody into a corner. He just invited them. He invited them with a genuine command to come and be reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. A very simple yet Profound message. We have made it too difficult. We think we have to have a whole bevy of verses in case somebody has a question. If somebody has a question and you can't answer, just say, I don't know, but I know this. Jesus loves you. 
See, the issue is not them getting their questions answered. Questions answered never saved anybody. It's the Holy Spirit taking the testimony that's presented and moving it into that person's heart. If a person's got a thousand questions and they think they'll get saved at the end of it, they won't. It's a place where eventually you surrender in spite of your questions. Can I just be dead honest with you? I've still got some questions that I have not got answered yet. But you know what? I don't have to have them answered anymore. They're not the biggest thing in my life. Jesus is. We sang in one of these songs, there's some mystery. There's some mystery. Listen, if you study revival, you will find that spontaneous evangelistic outflow from church flows. Whenever there's a revival in a person or a body of people, it just flows. It's spontaneous. It just happens. Nobody has to tell people to share. Nobody has to, to develop an evangelistic program, even though there's nothing wrong with those. But they don't have to be put in place. You don't have to twist people's arms to show up on one night of the week to go visiting. Why? Because they visit all day long, every evening. Whenever They're visiting whenever they're encountering other people. Listen, you don't have to have a, a church, quote, quote, visitation program to get it done. Here's what I've found, and, 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 and I've been in church for 58, 55 years, okay? Probably that's when I got saved. I was there before because we went. But here's what I found. There's a handful of people that come to the evangelistic outreach programs. Okay? And what we've done is we've allowed that handful of people to do our work for us. God never intended us to hire mercenaries to lead people to Jesus Christ. He intended for us to share the overflow in our life. And it's that overflow that brings people to Jesus. If that's what the Holy Spirit uses. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with God's gorillas that knock on doors or, or put a foot in the door and share Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that's all of our responsibility. Just read the book of Acts. What happens when the Holy Spirit sits down on that room? Man, I'm telling you, had you been there? You, you would have seen things you couldn't believe. We read that and we, we sanitize it. There's people everywhere. They're blubbering. They're talking in, in, in languages nobody knows what's going on. There's stuff appearing over their heads. I, there's probably people jerking and shaking. There's probably laughing. There's probably crying. There's every human emotion you can imagine. Nelson, shut your mouth. That didn't happen there. How do you know it didn't happen there? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit plugs into a place the very first time. They're wiped out up there. But here's the interesting thing. Is those 120 people, they didn't come to their senses and sit in little holy huddles and, and pray, oh God, maybe He'll do it again and we can experience that again. Man, they, 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 they were pushed they couldn't stay in that room. They went outside. 
and, and they were praising God to the, the tops of their lungs, but they were praising Him in languages that everybody in that city could understand. So it wasn't just a personal thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was a corporate thing that was meant to go out and to be shared with people. And so they're praising God in the streets, and as a crowd begins to gather, they're not sitting in their holy huddles saying, man, I wonder if God will top that in the next service. So, Nelson, what are you talking about? I've heard that. I've been in places where people were expecting that. And people were dying outside the doors to just hear a simple message of Jesus. But God, give me one more goosebump before I go do it. Okay, i got to come back in here, okay? Listen, God's not in the goosebump business. All right? God's in the business of touching people. All right? And when He touches you, I can't guarantee what's going to happen and how He'll touch you. But He doesn't give it to us so that we can mark it off on our, our bucket list. He doesn't, he doesn't give it to us so that it excites me. He gives it to us to change us. To make us different. To empower us to do things we can't do or we won't do. He, he does that for us. This crowd begins together. Man, they're coming from everywhere. Peter seizes an opportunity. And you know what Peter does? He just preaches the good news. He shares with them what has happened. What they experienced. What they had seen. And he closes with a very powerful statement. Listen to what he says in Acts chapter 236. Therefore, because of everything I've said, everything you've seen and heard, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus. He's made Him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Then He, then he sinks. The, man, He is the best of the best when it comes to sharing the gospel. He says, this Jesus whom you crucified you know what the crowd ain't no different today we are those who crucified Jesus you say but I wasn't there but my sin was my sin was and then he doesn't leave it there folks he responds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that falls on that crowd and he, he says this repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the outflow of obedience from the overflow of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit resulted in spontaneous evangelistic outreach. The Holy Spirit took control. And what happened is there were three thousand people that came to Jesus we've got all kinds of explanations as to why that happened here's the reality what God did in them poured out of them and it got on others and the Holy Spirit just gathered them up okay you explain it any way you want to but here's the reality in revival revival is really just the spontaneous combustion of evangelism that's all it is. Any of you ever seen something that couldn't burn or, or that shouldn't burn burst into flames? When I was a teenager, we used to haul a lot of hay. One thing you never do if you're, if you're uh, uh, an entrepreneur and you want, to have, you want to haul hay because you think it's cool, you never put wet or green hay in a barn and stack other hay on it. 
because in a little while that hay will get so hot that it'll burst into flames and it will burn that barn down. You say, no way. I put my hand in a hay bale before that would blister you. It was just days away from burning that barn down. It, it, it doesn't need a spark. Listen, God doesn't need a spark. It just spontaneously combusted there in the book of Acts. And it just kept combusting. And it's supposed to continue to combust with us. Listen, God gives us a promise which He can't break. And Paul quotes it right out of the Old Testament book of Joel. He quotes it in Romans ten thirteen. He says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I'm not a five-point Calvinist, and this is one of the reasons why. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, if someone calls, God will save them. Whosoever will may come. And then he asked this question. And he asked this question not just to a group of people in Scripture, but he asks it to every one of us. And he asks us these questions individually, and he asks us personally. There are four questions. Paul says this, How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? In other words, how can they call if, 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 they've, not, if they've not, you know, they've not believed? And, and how shall they believe in whom, whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Okay, that's the one I was waiting on right there. That takes me off the hook. In other words, right there it is, Pastor. It's your responsibility. Listen, this word preacher there is just a bad translation, a short translation of what the word really means. The word really means one who cries out loud, one who declares, one who proclaims, one who announces, one who summons somebody to something, one who witnesses. That's all it is. The root word is, is the herald that would go through the streets and proclaim the coming of the king. That, that's, that's where that word comes from. And then he, he asked this question. And how shall they preach? How shall they cry out loud? How shall they declare? How shall they proclaim? How shall they announce? How shall they summon? Unless they are sent. Just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things, who bring the good news of the gospel. That last question is answered in the very first passage I shared today. We have been sent. Okay? If you're waiting on God to wake you up in the middle of the night and tell you to do this, probably not going to happen. Okay? You're looking for it to be written in the sky. Probably not going to happen. Why? Because He's already revealed it to us. I will close with these words. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus said, Go, therefore, as you are going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We make, we make disciples by sharing Jesus with them. By, when they come to belief, baptizing them unto the, into the name of Jesus Christ. And then, and, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe everything 
that Jesus taught us. Guys, we got a commission. We got a job. I know some of you wonder why the Lord doesn't come back. It's getting pretty black. It's getting pretty dark. The reason the Lord doesn't come back is because he, His heart is that none should be lost. His heart is that His people would want none to be lost. And so he, I look at it this way. He's giving us more opportunities to share the love of Jesus with the people we encounter. Okay? Everybody in this room can do it. Everybody in this room whom Jesus has saved has a story. You don't have to know all the verses. You don't have to answer all the questions. You just have to share the seed that you carry. Which is what your experience in Jesus Christ was. And you sow that seed. And you sow that seed. And you sow that seed. You sow it here. You sow it there. You sow it here. You come back. You sow it again. You sow it. You sow it. You sow it. Scripture says that it's God who waters. I mean, it's God that reaps the harvest. We sow. We water. He reaps the harvest. It's not my job to get people saved. It's my job to share the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job to save people. So if I understand my job and I faithfully carry it out, the Holy Spirit will do His. But if I don't do mine, I'm hindering Him. Y'all understand where I'm coming from? All right. Scripture says for us to go. As we're going day by day, we just do it. Hey, let me tell you what Jesus did. Hey, let me tell you what Jesus did. You see, our testimony is not just meant to be given in here. Heck, I can't hardly squeeze a testimony out of some of you in here. Okay? God's just blessing you and blessing you and blessing you. By the way, next Sunday we're going to have a Sunday of celebration. So you need to be, you know, seeing what He's doing in you. But, but our, 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 His desire is to squeeze it out of us when we get out there. If we can give it in here, man, we can give it out there. It encourages us. It gives them life. It's like plugging in a transfusion to somebody whose blood has drained out. It's like putting oxygen on somebody that's gasping for breath. It's like a heart transplant for somebody whose heart's dead. Okay? It, it excites me. It pumps me up. It helps build my faith. It gives them life. Life. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.